0: Welcome to Voices of Experience, radio show and podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Voices of Experience podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts. No promotional fees have been paid to anyone appearing on Voices of Experience. Now, on with the show.
1: Welcome to Voices of Experience once again on Kixie AM 880, KKNW 1150 AM. You can be hearing the show on both of those stations, or maybe you are listening to it now on my podcast. My name is Paul Casey, and welcome to both Eric's today Eric yeah. Freeman and Eric Ryder. How are you guys?
2: Good afternoon. Doing well.
1: Yeah. You Glad to have show? you back. Yeah. Thank you. You did the show last week. Great job. I had a chance to listen to it. Oh, thank you. So, yeah. Really in, enjoyed. And we're not fired. What we're you not. Were doing. So. <laughs> awesome. I don't have the power that. to do that, but that's okay. I mean, on your show, you do. Well, I suppose <laughs> yeah, I do. Heck yeah, yeah, you do. Gosh, darn it, maybe. No. <laughs> Far from it. No, well, and Eric leads
3: off the show with those dirty words. 38, did you say 38 degrees?
1: That's he, the first time I've heard it this year.
2: Yeah, yeah. We're going to be dipping down. Woo. Uh, come Friday.
1: Wow. Wow. Okay. Welcome back. So, how about Halloween uh, night? What's that looking like? Uh, yeah, I'll have to check on that. Okay, you see, this is current events. I mean, this mm-hmm. is big. This is big stuff. Come yeah, to- that's always
3: a big thing around here. Are Are you going to put the 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 costume on and then the garbage bag over it? Remember that as a kid out
2: here. Sure. <laughs> that's the way it was. Yeah, Actually, yeah, pretty it looks much pretty decent for Halloween. Mostly sunny, high near fifty three. There you oh, go. Perfect. That's a rare occasion around here. Yeah, it's right. like usually raining on Halloween.
1: Quick question: Does your house have any Halloween decorations? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Mine does. Yeah. I got two pumpkins out there. All right. I qualify. Have have
2: you carved them up yet?
1: Nope. Same. I don't think. (laughs) Got to get a wrap. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) I I like
3: pumpkin seeds, so I do like to carve it up and cook those. Oh, you do? Do Oh,
1: yeah. You'll actually do that again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of a tradition. Good eats. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see. We got a lot of things to get to today. And uh, first up will be a John Waterman. Well, actually, he will be the first guest up today, but he's the author of 14 National Geographic books, and uh, his latest is Atlas of Wild America, The Most Stunning Locations in America. Mm. I'll leave it at that now because we're going to do a further introduction when he comes up in just a a few moments. Another feature today, do any of you, either of you, um, remember the name Virgil Fazio?
3: Fazio sounds really familiar. Okay. But, but I have no idea where. All right. Uh, he was
1: the uh, publisher of the Seattle Post Intelligencer. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it was in the 1980s. And uh, he got a lot of credit for really keeping the PI at the time alive because he's the one who led the merger with the Seattle Times when that happened. Mm-hmm. As you recall, they merged mm-hmm. and then they had an operating agreement. I think it was really the only two newspapers in the United States that were able to do something like that. Anyhow, I had an interview with him over 20 years ago. Wow. And uh, that was on the profiles of experience from the previous Kixie days. And I asked him about the future of newspapers in that interview 20 years ago. And I re-listened to it, and it was very interesting what he had to say. So the audience here, you're going to have to just stick around to hear what he had to say uh-huh. about the future of newspapers. How accurate was he? I mean, again, this is obviously well before the iPhone and all the social media that we're looking at the newspaper's demise now, and just to get his take on that then.
3: And wasn't the PI the afternoon paper and the Times was the morning, or was it vice versa?
1: Vice versa. Okay. Then the Times went to morning. Okay. And it was kind of a knockout blow to the PI. They owned the morning, Mm -hmm. and then the Times had the afternoon. But then again, the Times decided at some point to go morning, because if felt would be their model, and that was a real blow to the PI at that time. And I think that's what really prompted the merger in some ways.
2: And, I mean, they started out uh, as a merging paper, right, because it was the Post and it was the Intelligencer. They got folded into one paper uh, to become the Post Intelligencer. So when they merged with Seattle Times, it was nothing new for them. Okay. Yeah.
1: Did not know that. So, that's, that's great. Out of the left there. field.
2: Nicely done. <laughs> yes. I always like the name of the PI, the post intelligencer. Uh-huh. It sounded cool. You don't hear too many newspapers with uh names like that.
1: They had a great slogan in talking about morning and afternoon again. It's not morning without the PI. Yes. I remember that. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They had that they had some really good advertising around that. Meandering Musings today with Neil Peterson. We're talking not. He's talking about peaches and he (laughs) actually makes it interesting. I don't know about that much about peaches. You pick them up at the grocery store, you go home, but you're going to know more about peaches than, I don't know if you want to know this much, but (laughs) it's coming your way. It's coming your way. Anyhow, uh, let's see voices of history for today. A movie opened up in 1969. It became an instant classic. And also, what I'm going to do today, let's play a song from that movie for the Timeless Classic.
2: Okay. Oh, now I know what the movie is. You do? Yeah, because I know what the song is.
1: <laughs> okay. There, There's uh, no mistake. I'm not going to look. I'm always going to Eric, wow, you're amazing <laughs> to me, and you are. <laughs> but then I go, how did he get that from that? But you're right. I sent you the song earlier, and you put it into the uh, file. So
3: 69. I think I have it, but I'm not going to say
1: anything. All right. So that's uh, coming today. And uh, talk about solopreneur today, going into business for yourself. Just going to talk about really some of the things that you should consider before you go into business. And I've talked about that a lot, but I'm going to keep on to that theme. And the reason I like to talk about it and have you guys participate in this is because if you're thinking about going into business for yourself, I think there's a couple of things to keep in mind. One is that if you're in the older adult side of things, is that that's the fastest growing number of businesses that are being opened are by people fifty plus, plus. and so what are the things that you should consider before you do this? Because you may want to do it because you need the money, mm-hmm. uh, but also too maybe something you just always dreamed you want to do, and you're tired of sitting on the sofa and watching yeah. reruns of old timeless classics. I, I thought guess. you were going to say Bonanza. Oh, <laughs> maybe Bonanza. <laughs>
3: that's out. That's awesome. Haas.
1: Yes, awesome Haas Bonanza. Yeah, that that's a good point there too. Uh, let's see. Well, um, I took a trip recently. Yes, you want to did. I talk about that. Welcome just got back. back on Monday. So I'll share some of my experiences on that. I'm not going to make a big, long dissertation on it, but the bottom line is I took a cruise from Barcelona, Spain, pretty much around the Mediterranean to Lisbon, um, Portugal. And it was a, a seven day cruise. So I'm just going to talk about very briefly some of the things that I did well and some of the things I may have done differently had I do it to, to do it over again.
3: And Eric and I rented out your house to those college students, so remind us to give you your cut.
1: Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> no wonder I saw the food on the floor. Not college students. I went to college. We wouldn't do that.
3: They were from Wazoo, though.
1: Whoa, ouch. <laughs> oh, here it's we go. The... <laughs> so, yes, let's get to um, the History Channel and what they provide for us this day in history in just a moment.
0: Welcome to today's Voices of History. Swung on the line, now the field line for our base hit. Here comes Joy. Here is Junior to third base. They're going to wave him in. The throw to the plate will be late.
4: The Mariners are going to play for the American League Championship. I don't believe it. Let the celebration begin in Seattle. It is over. series in five games
5: the transition and the move of this of this operation and this team begins tomorrow morning from seattle to oklahoma
3: city
1: very nicely done benny i love those introductions i gave him a little bit of guidance what to do and he ran with it and just did a wonderful job of course you had dave Niehaus and probably the call i mean if you're a mariners fan that is it When they won the 1995, not World Series, but the series against the Yankees for the American League. It wasn't the championship because they played Cleveland after that, but it was ever leading to that. And uh, then, of course, the Sonics winning the NBA championship in 1979. And then, of course, Clay Bennett announcing that uh, the Sonics were leaving Seattle for Oklahoma City.
3: Thank you very much, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. The door hit you in the you-know-what. But, you know, I read something recently. Oklahoma City struggling. Mm-hmm. and they're talking about building a new arena there, and it's like a $1.2 billion operation. When will it end? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens here. I mean, wouldn't it be ironic that they, <laughs> they come back, back as key? Well, not, you know, uh, climate Pledge is now opened up for business, yeah. one of the greatest arenas.
4: Can we come home again? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen, but it's interesting. That, it uh, could happen. What yeah. the heck? All right, so let's uh, get with uh, uh, looking at today, Voices of History for today. Okay, on October 24th, 1969, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, starring Paul Newman and Robert Redford, opens the theaters throughout the United States. The film did receive seven nominations for an Oscar, including Best Director, which it did win, Best Song, which is coming up later. I'm just going to say it. I mean... It's raindrops keep falling on my head. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So that's coming uh, later. For, Unmistakable.
2: Once um, yeah. you mention that movie, it's got to be that song.
1: Right. Yeah. Of course. And yes, it was uh, pretty amazing on both counts because they both did very well independently. And that and movie
2: uh, ends on a rare, not cliffhanger, but cliff jumper. That's
1: right. Right. <laughs> that's right. Spoiler, sorry. No, that's. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, <laughs> I haven't seen the movie. <laughs> You probably won't see it if you haven't seen it by now. On October 25th, 1964, after recovering a fumble against the San Francisco 49ers, Minnesota Vikings defensive end Jim Marshall runs 66 yards uh, into the end zone. He thought he had scored a touchdown. Now, why didn't he score a touchdown? Why would I bring up a regular season game from 1964? And his first name is? Jim Marshall. Okay, because I think that went to his nickname. Is this the one where it went the wrong way? That's the one. Oh. The wrong way into his own end zone. He thought he had scored a touchdown. He was throwing the ball in the air, celebrating. <laughs> he didn't know why the other players weren't coming around him, you know, giving him high fives. Oh. And then he said, you just <laughs> ran the wrong way. And um, despite his error, and good for him, the Vikings did win the game, 27-20. to So it's not that... Big a deal going down. I mean, the, a touchdown's
2: a touchdown. Celebrate.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> but he's not going to live in infamy because it wasn't a Super Bowl right. game yeah. or it wasn't like Billy Buckner with the Red Sox. Right. If he ball goes through his leg. Now, that they lost that game, but they had a game 7. Now, if Boston Red Sox would have won that game and won the World Series, we probably wouldn't even know about Billy Buckner's era. Mm-hmm. But when I go through the History Channel and I look at some of these Historical footnotes. There it was, Billy Buckner. I'm not, I didn't want to play that for that reason yeah. to bring that back because I think it's so unfair. The guy was a great ball player, and that's what yeah. you read now, but that's the way it works. But uh, anyhow, this guy, the Vikings won the game. So they were giving him a bad time on the plane going back. Oh, yeah. and I think what did I read? Something about, oh, are we going to. Um, Back to Minnesota from San Francisco. Or we're going to Hawaii. You tell us, Jim. You know, they just gave him a bunch of.
2: Now, did the uh, other team actually get the points for his yes. reverse touchdown? Yeah. It goes. Okay,
1: it's actually what it is. It's I didn't a know. Safety. It counted. It's a safety. Yeah. That's yeah. what they got. A safety. So wow. Well, another thing I wanted to bring up was about the Erie Canal. It opened up on October twenty sixth, eighteen twenty five. So that would be tomorrow, 1825. It connected the Great Lakes with the Atlantic Ocean with, via the Hudson River. Um, Governor DeWitt, DeWitt Clinton of New York was the driving force behind the project. Work began in 1817, so that's eight years. Teams of oxen plowed the ground, but for the most part, the work was done by immigrants, among them Irish diggers, we know about that, who had to rely on really primitive tools. and They got paid $10 a month. Um, now, this is, I think, fascinating about this. It already is, but the locks were built to accommodate more than 500 foot rise in elevation. I compare everything to the Space Needle. So that's almost 100 feet short of the Space Needle. Sure. Think of that, how sure. tall that was. And after more than two years of digging, the 363 mile Erie Canal from Albany to Baltimore was open. So that part of it was open. In in the nine years, it was paid off because wow. of how quickly it was opened. But it's amazing to me to think the 363-mile. So, again, how is that relative to Seattle? What is it? Seattle, 400? That's down to Seattle, to Ashland, Oregon, probably north of that. Further Maybe than Salem.
3: Spokane. Further than Spokane. Much further. That's yeah.
1: like 210 miles. It would be Helena, oh, Montana. jeez. Oh, to think about the length of that. Right. I've heard about the Erie Canal my whole life. For some reason, this really jumped out at me um, as something that was a major feat in this country. So let's move on to historylink.org. And this is a nonprofit site that was started by Walt Crowley, the great Walt Crowley, who um, provided so much historical footnotes to Seattle to keep it alive and the state of Washington. On October 19th, 1871, Susan B. Anthony became the first woman to address the Washington State Territorial legislature. While she was here, she helped organize the Women's Suffrage Association Movement.
3: And and the date on that,
1: 1871.
3: So imagine just the trip out here.
1: That's what I always think. I mean, what I've read about presidents coming out here, I think, you know, I don't know, some I have in the last, in the 1800s. Sure. And I go, my God, how did they get out here?
3: Well, it would have been train trip at that point, I would believe, at least most of the way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No question on that. On October 21st, 1962, President Kennedy was scheduled to attend the closing of the Seattle World's Fair, but he canceled at the last moment due he had a cold. He had to go back to Washington and get bed rest. Do you know why he canceled his uh, closing ceremony remarks at Seattle Center on October 21st,
2: 1962? Cuban Missile Crisis, right?
1: Correct. Uh, Yeah, good one. Yeah. Yeah, sure. That was it. I remember as a young boy, we were going to go see him. Oh, okay. And my dad came in and said, he's caught a cold. We can't go see him today. And I, Oh, I was so disappointed. Sure. And the rest and there is history, as far as that goes. On October 25th, 1864, telegraph lines finally reached Seattle for the first time, greatly increasing the speed Northwesterners received their information from. Four years earlier, when Abraham Lincoln won the 1860 election, it took 16 days for the news to travel west, first by a telegraph that was hooked to California, then a steamship up the Puget Sound. I think I got this right when I read this statement. The editor of the Olympian newspaper stated, quote, The annihilation of the time and distance seems incomprehensible. What I take that to mean is, and tell me if you agree. I, it's a little bit confusing, but it's um, inc- incomprehensible that we got news so fast.
3: Sure. Yeah. And Think about that. And Domino's Pizza even. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thirty days or less.
1: <laughs> You're with it today. I'm Eric. with it. That's good. Too much coffee. So anyhow, there's you go for today. Um, the uh, voices of history. Wonderful.
0: You have been listening to Voices of History. If you have historical events that you would like to share, call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166.
1: John Waterman is my guest. He has written 15 books on adventure and the environment, including a recent National Geographic Atlas of National Parks. He has also worked as a wilderness guide, as a National Park Service ranger, and continues to explore remote places around the world by boat, foot, or dog sled. Okay. He is an award winning writer and photographer, and he's appeared on numerous national magazines and newspapers. He was very lucky to get on this show. You know, he knows that, right? In August of 2023, the New York Times published his opinion piece on Alaska Slaughter of the Bears Must Stop. He lives in Carbondale, Colorado. So let's pick up with my interview with John Waterman. What led you to become a wildlife photographer? Did this happen earlier in your life, or is this something you developed over time? and kind of becoming, I would say, the Ansel Adams of our time. Mostly
0: I focus on landscapes. In this particular book, Atlas of Wild America, I did it from planes in many instances, as well as on the ground, because in a plane you can really understand the breadth and the depth of an area. And in the 41 areas that I've Uh, Covered in this book, Atlas of Wild America, that just came out this week from the National Geographic. Uh, I have uh, focused on places that are wild, without roads and without the roar of machinery and the hum of civilization.
1: Well, I see the Pacific Northwest is featured in the book. I haven't had a chance to see it. I guess, as you said, it just came out. Let's start there in the Pacific Northwest.
0: Photography that I did there was. Glaciers in the, in the Pacific Northwest and in the uh, yeah. glacier wilderness area, but also uh, the forests of the Pacific Northwest are just incredible places you can lose yourself uh, in these trees, rainforests in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, you know, places like Misty Fjords National Monument uh, in Alaska uh, that is uh, riven by these enormous ocean fjords uh, that run right up to these, these uh, magnificent spruce and fir hemlock forests. But the book is, covers from coast to coast, as well as five areas within Canada and three areas that are uh, suitably wild within Mexico.
1: How many photographs does this book contain?
0: It has over 250 photographs.
1: And what's different about this book than the w- other ones you've done? Because you've done a series of books throughout your career.
0: This is the first book that I've come out with in three years. It is very similar to the last book that I did, which is a, a bestseller called The Atlas of the National Parks. It's the same format, same sort of seven-pound, 10-inch by 14-inch book with with uh, large uh, image imagery and and uh, lots of maps because
1: it's an atlas. Is there like a, a tip that you could give us in terms of people who want to get into exploring more and try to experience something that you do? How would we approach anything near what, what you do?
0: Well, I think that you know, pre- it's a great question, and preparation is everything in a wilderness trip. When you're going to a national park or a wilderness area, it's important to understand and read up and research uh, about the place you're going to uh, and then go properly prepared with the right food and clothing and stove and um, as, as well as the right maps. And my book is not a guidebook, but it is a celebration of wilderness and an introduction to these areas is sort of a inspirational introduction with a, a lot of earth sciences and uh, history and, and in many places textured with my own personal experiences in some of these places.
1: You suggest that people should be fully present when they're in the outdoors to experience what you're seeing at, at all levels. How do you do that?
0: That's the beauty. of Your question frames the beauty of wilderness, because to be fully present, we need to turn off our phones uh, and and focus on what's around us. And what is kind of demands that of us um, because to travel through wilderness, whether you're paddling or sailing or climbing or walking, um, you have to be a hundred percent there uh, and paying attention. And let's face it, we've all become multi in our information age. Uh, so uh, we need wilderness. It's a bomb for our souls.
1: Probably more important now than ever actually. I want to go back to the glaciers for a moment. You've been photographing them for a period of time. Have you noticed a shrinkage in the glaciers from the places that you've traveled?
0: It's a well-documented phenomenon. It's particularly prevalent reduction in the glaciers in coastal areas, in Glacier Bay National Park, where the glaciers run right down to seawater The meltback has been startling. But it's also present in places like The North Cascades in the the Pacific Northwest, Uh, they've lost so much ice over the years. Crevasses are opening up and there's stonefall in areas where I've never seen stonefall before just because uh, the temperatures are now uh, going above freezing in many of these places.
1: I had a trip down south about a month ago, beautiful, clear day in the northwest. And again, we were flying south. And I looked over Mount Rainier and I was really stunned at how the level, I don't know if it's glaciers, the snowpack or whatever, had been as diminished as I've ever seen it.
0: Yeah, it's the world that we live in. But this is one of the great things uh, about wilderness areas, that they are uh, relatively untouched aside from this, the, the changes we see in increased temperatures and climate change. Uh, and it allows us to get back to uh, to uninterrupted and untrammeled nature.
1: Who do you think would benefit most from reading and perusing your book?
0: My book is for everyone. It's for um, both wilderness connoisseurs who have been to these places and want to find others. Uh, but it's for the beginner as well to inspire those people who uh, want to learn more about these places and possibly go to visit them as well, to get away from the sort of more popular and crowded national parks and find places like the parks that have the same sort of magnificence, but uh, just without the the crowds and without the infrastructure.
1: And what can wilderness tell us about ourselves?
0: Well, I'll answer that um, with a quote from from the book, in fact, by a, uh, a beloved naturalist, her name is Terry Tempest Williams, who said, that wildness reminds us what it means to be human, what we are connected to rather than what we are separate from. Wildness reminds us of what it means to be human.
1: Anything else before we go?
0: We talked about the, the degradation of glaciers and the melting back of glaciers. Henry David Thoreau once said, in wildness is the preservation of the world. And I really believe in that, uh, for not only spiritually and soulfully, but the preservation of the world because... Uh, For instance, in wild areas, we have many trees, and the trees allows to sequester carbon from the air and can help negate the effects of climate
1: change. Well, we're back, and we're going to continue with the show Voices of Experience today, and uh, we'll just get right into Meandering Musings by Neil Peterson, and I'll just let him get into one of his most important Subjects he's ever talked about, and he talks about it in great detail, and that's peaches.
5: Take it away, Neil. Peaches. I love peaches. I do so for two reasons. One, my sister Judy has been called peaches for more than half a century. Everyone knows her as peaches. I'm the only person in the world that calls her Judy. But peaches it is. And I love her. She's my only sister, my kid's sister, four years younger than I am. To be honest, my love for my sister has grown over the years. Growing up, I knew she was my sister, but I frankly did not appreciate her value. As I saw it, she had several limitations. She was too young to be able to play catch with. She was too young to be competitive in a game of tennis or golf with me. She didn't play hockey. And she was a girl. But what I've realized over the last six or so decades is that she is a total sweetheart, the nicest person you will ever meet. The best evidence of that is that she, along with her husband, Harold, have put up with me as her brother for all of these years. This is the first reason why I love peaches. The second reason I love peaches is that when I bite into a ripe peach, my mouth waters. I crave a peach's sweetness. Oh, my goodness. This was brought home to me again today when I made my weekly visit to Pikes Place Market in Seattle. I always go there to get my fresh fruits and vegetables. The open-air market is not only the number one tourist attraction in Seattle, but it feels like home to me. For a period of time years ago, I used to live in an apartment above the market. I've been going to the same fruit and vegetable stand in the market for more than 40 years. They know me, and I know them. Today, Mike said to me, Neil, we have the best peaches I have ever seen. They are out of this world. Now, this is something, because I get peaches every week. I immediately walk over to the peaches and take a look. My mouth drops. They look phenomenal. I want to grab a bag and put all the peaches in it. My first question to Mike was, where did these peaches come from? He told me that they came from Zanel Orchards in Arondo, Washington. Arondo is a community with less than 2,000 inhabitants. It's located on the banks of the mighty Columbia River. The town has a 76 gas station, also serves as a market of sorts. It has an elementary school, a post office, and Wikipedia reports that it had a Subway restaurant, but it closed in 2018. I also ask about the growing season. Peaches grow primarily from mid-May to mid-September and July and August are peak season. What makes peaches so special, I ask myself. I just love the way they taste. So, so, so sweet. I also love the way they feel. So furry and fuzzy. I love their colors. A reddish yellow. And I love the way they look. So heart shaped. I like to eat peaches raw but they can be broiled, baked, grilled, or sautéed. Peaches, in Latin, prunus persica, originated some 8,000 years ago in China. And China remains the number one producer of peaches in the world by a long shot. China produces around 14 million tons of peaches a year. And the next largest producers are Spain, Italy, the United States, and Greece, all around 1 million a year. Within the United States, even though Georgia is called the peach state, California grows 475,000 tons of peaches each year. And that compares to South Carolina with 67,000, Georgia with 24,000, followed by Pennsylvania, Colorado, Michigan, New Jersey, and Washington State with 7,000 tons of peaches each year. What surprised me is to discover how many health benefits there are from eating peaches. One medium-sized peach, 5.4 ounces or 150 grams, provides approximately 58 calories and a ton of nutrients, minerals, and vitamins. One gram of protein, one gram of fat, two grams of fiber, and then 17% of your daily value of vitamin C, 10% of your daily value of vitamin A, 8% of your daily value of potassium, and 5% of your daily value of niacin, vitamin E, vitamin K, copper, and manganese. In addition, peaches have beneficial plant components and antioxidants that help protect the body from aging and diseases. So it helps protect your skin reduces allergy symptoms, it aids digestion, it reduces blood sugar levels, it protects against certain toxins, boosting immunity, it improves heart health, and it prevents certain types of cancer. Drilling down on a couple of these health benefits, peaches are full of polyphenols, a category of antioxidants which reduce and limit the spread of certain cancer cells, especially breast cancer. Women, according to some studies, who consume two to three peaches a day, have a 41% lower risk of breast cancer. In addition, peaches improve your digestion in two ways. Of the two grams of fiber in a peach, one of them is what is called a soluble fiber, which produces food for beneficial bacteria in your intestines. The second fiber in a typical peach is an insoluble one. This insoluble fiber adds bulk to your stool. And it helps move food through your gut, reducing the likelihood of constipation. Now, I apologize if this may be more information than you really wanted to know about peaches. Bottom line, peaches are healthy for you. I love peaches.
3: I love peaches, too. Great one, Neil Peterson. Love it. Neil Peterson, Meandering Musings. You could check them out at meanderingmusings.net. That's .net or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Speaking of podcasts, want to make sure that you uh, check out the podcast Voices of Experience. Again, where you get your favorite podcast. download, subscribe, and like. And thank you so much for telling all your friends and family about Voices of Experience. We really appreciate it. Sundays, 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. And, of course, Wednesdays live, 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. here on KKNW and KIXI. Well, let's get to this portion of the program at Solopreneur with Paul Casey. Paul, let's talk about a couple of uh, subjects that are sort of near and dear to your heart and straight out of is self-employment for you, your famous book. Let's talk about execution and reliability.
1: Well, let's start out with execution because that's the way you teed it up. So why not go in that direction? Execution. Well, I think uh, what I talk about in this uh, position is that anyone can have an opinion. Um, I think Thomas Edison said it very well. He said, uh, something along the lines that if you have an idea, that's great. If it mm. stays there, it's an hallucination. <laughs> you know, he basically said, unless you put the blood sweat and tears, and he's certainly a man who lived by it, trying to develop that light bulb. Yep. And, uh, the phonograph that he did, I mean, it took incredible uh, focus and discipline to do it. So again, that's what he was driving at. And I didn't know what that meant till I was in business for myself, starting it up. I didn't have Thomas Edison as a mentor, but I had a guy by the name of Larry Kaufman as a mentor. And while he didn't quote Thomas Edison He's a guy who instilled into me in real time how important it was to execute. For example, the first thing I did as an entrepreneur was publish a newspaper. And it was something that he suggested you can do 99% of getting this out the door. And that's meaning you're going to be the one selling the ads. You're going to be bringing the ads in, knifing them in. You're going to get all the articles in and do this. You're the editor, you're the publisher, you're the sales director. I thought he was crazy. and But when he looked and I went through the process, you could get to heights that I never dreamed you could have by doing it yourself, executing and getting it done. So he was the best one that instilled that in me. That without, again, the practicality of it is that you really have nothing until You execute it. And if you don't get that newspaper out the door on time, on printed, no mistakes, you missed the mail, you could really lose a lot of money. For example, there'd be advertisers in there Mm -hmm. that would, um, you know, it would be date sensitive that they had an event coming up this Friday. You had to get it in the mail, you had to move it back, you had to make sure it got on the printer, it got to the mailhouse on time, and all that. You missed that, you're not going to get paid. So that's what instilled to me how important execution was.
3: So that follow-through is just so important, not only for yourself and to keep your business moving forward, but also all your clients. Absolutely. They expect it. Now, your book is self-employment for you. One great thing that you do on this program is you give away a copy. I do. To the first caller and they all they have to do, it's real simple, 425-653-1166. If you dial that number right now, 425 653 1166 and be the first caller. Paul is going to send you one of his books is self-employment for you. Now Paul I was also curious about reliability. Why is that so important?
1: Before we get to that you remind me of this leave your address and zip code. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yes, when you put it on name, the voicemail. Name,
3: address and zip code. perfect. Thank you. <laughs> I should have been more reliable.
1: <laughs> Let's talk about reliability. You are on fire today. So what are we going to do now? Reliability? Yeah, reliability. Okay. Um, Reliability is extremely important. Again, you you sometimes think it's obvious, but it goes close to hand with execution. But being reliable is that you know that you will get what you say done, completed. Mm -hmm. That's important when you're working for someone else. But when you are going into business and your margin of error error is not that great. For example, you don't have a lot of financing behind you. You can't afford not to get that information and be a reliable person to get back to people. Uh, For example, someone who you look at, are they reliable or are they not? That to me is, I don't say it's the top one, but it's certainly the top one or two. When I decide that I want to go into business with someone or have any relationship with, that affects my business. Sometimes as friends, I don't really care. But I do care that the other thing is I've heard 99% of success is showing up or maybe Woody Allen said 80% of success is showing up. Your friendships are much better if the same person isn't late all the time. You have Mm -hmm. an engagement to do you learn to find out about reliable and unreliable people. Reliability in business, again, I'm back to it's everything.
3: I heard an interview recently with a professional soccer goalie, and he said the challenge is you can have 20 saves, 10 saves in a a match, but it's that one goal that they get mad at you about that you let get past you.
1: Right. That's what will be remembered. Like we were talking about Billy Buckner – Probably played going back to the mm-hmm. sports we talked about. He was a great fielder. He had a bad foot that game. He probably shouldn't have gone out for that inning anyhow. But he was a great first baseman. But what is he remembered for? Now, that's a grand example. Sure, of course. But it still is something that's so key, reliability, that you say you're going to do something, you do it. And if somehow it doesn't work out, you get right to that back to that individual you've worked with. And you let them know um, that it isn't going to happen for whatever reason. Yes. But I've just experienced more and more of the 80-20 rule that, again, reliability, people get that or they don't. And I'm saying if you don't, do not even consider going into business for yourself. Don't even try. You
3: can learn this and much more in Paul's book is self-employment for you. Matter of fact, if you're the first caller at 425-653-1166, that's 425-653-1166, be the first caller to leave their name, address, and a phone number back, you're going to receive a copy. Great edition of Solopreneur today, Paul.
1: Thank you very much. Good questions. Okay, so you're going to start out now with the...
3: Vacation. I got that song in my head. Go-Go's, right? Right, Eric? I always got to look to Eric. That's right. Well, Woo-hoo! I was so excited one, about right.
1: it, I was talking about it over the, <laughs> the inside the, you know,
3: <laughs> bridging. Right. So You had a great vacation, it sounds like. Maybe, maybe talk about that.
1: Yes. I could spend the next hour and a half talking about it, but I will not do that. I'm going to give this the real quick overview of it. First of all, I will tell you what my wife and I did. We went... On Saturday, October 14th, from Barcelona, Spain, on a cruise, a Seaborne cruise, and we ended up in Lisbon, Portugal, a week later. And I'd never been on a cruise in my life. Uh, I've got to say that I had a wonderful experience. Seaborne was outstanding. Everything I've heard about them was uh, A+. Plus. And we would just talked, Eric, before the show, that Seaborne is based here in Seattle, I yeah. I, somebody told me that on the cruise. I didn't know that, and I guess you didn't know it as well, but they are, and they did a wonderful job. Just a couple things. Uh, they take care of everything. It's a great cruise. That's what they say they're going to do. They really came through. Um, as far as things that I, when I took off for uh, Heathrow Airport in London, and it took about 10 hours to get there, we actually came in early, and... We had to sit in the tarmac though for a half hour short of it is i missed my connection Mm. to barcelona fortunately three flights later one seat opened up i got on that night got into barcelona at two in the morning and then we got on the cruise about 11 a.m my wife was in barcelona she wanted to get there a few days early i was livid at british air for things that i have every cause to be however I also looked at myself when I came back going, no, wait a minute, you're going on this cruise, get on a plane a day before the cruise leads, make it two days. So if something like this goes sideways, they're doing what they can do, the best they can do. I am not going to be one to jump up and down and say the airlines are terrible. I don't think they are. I mean, we have 12 years of no one dying in an airplane uh, disaster in this country. They're moving literally Thousands of people a day, mm-hmm. the luggage, whatever. I marvel at what they can do, but take it from me: leave a couple of days early if you're going on a cruise, and it takes a lot of the stress off. But um,
3: and you did a couple of days after too. I love that because that's sort of like a wind down.
1: Yeah, I like that. And uh, we stayed in Lisbon, Portugal, a couple of days. Just to let you know quickly, we went from Barcelona, then we went to Mallorca, Spain, uh, Cartagena, Spain. Uh, Marbella, Tangier, Morocco, which was my favorite stop. We were at sea for a couple days and we had to adjust because there was storms coming in. And we ended up in Gibraltar and then ended up in Lisbon. But as I say, it was really a delightful time.
3: Now, you, t- when I asked you, you said five stars. It was yes, five stars.
1: Five stars all the way.
3: And you travel a lot. So that means a lot. Right. That's the- right.
1: And uh, yes, I would have to agree with that. So there you go. And it, by the way, Eric, if anybody has any questions, about what I talked about, want to know more detail, they can call that line and just leave a message saying, hey, I want to know more about uh, Malarca or M- Marlorca or something like that. Sure. Or, you know, what was it like, you know, to be in Gibraltar? Anything about this trip, they can call me at that lot line.
3: 425-653-1166. There you go. False thoughts. Okay.
2: I want to find out about Tangiers. <laughs>
1: About 20 years ago, I had a show called Voices of Experience, which was on KIXI. And in that Profiles of Experience, I interviewed a lot of people about the state of Washington, the Seattle area, and what they were viewing as how things were going at the time. I also asked each of them what they projected for the future, like 20 years or so. And we're right now in that 20-year period. I had interviews with former Governor John Spellman. Governor Dan Evans, Seattle Mayors Wes Ullman and Charles Royer, Mountaineer Jim Whitaker, and civic activist Jim Ellis. I've been playing some of those interviews over the last couple of months. Again, I asked most of the guests what did they see about Seattle in the future in the next 20 years or so. I interviewed Virgil Fazio, and he was the former publisher of the Seattle PI and was a guest on the show. We discussed the future of newspapers and also, again, the future of this area. And here's what he had to say.
6: And good morning and welcome to Profiles of Experience. Good morning. Mr. Fazio. how did you become the publisher of the Seattle P.I.? How did it all come together?
7: Well, uh, yeah, I guess I'd have to go back to the beginning, almost. I, I'm one of those accidental uh, uh, folks in the newspaper business. I, uh, my degree was in government at the University of Pittsburgh. But when I was 20 back in Pittsburgh, I started to... the editor and publisher of a little uh, bi-weekly paper and uh, then in 1950 uh, i went to work on a daily as a reporter for a couple years and overnight out of the blue and it wouldn't have happened anywhere else the publisher of this small daily decided that someday i might succeed him and so i should become the circulation manager and it turned out that that became the next 25 years in my newspaper career i kept getting recruited for bigger circulation jobs uh, in uh, wilmington delaware and then the circulation director of detroit free press and finally as the Vice President of Circulation Director of the Chicago Tribune. So I was recruited by Hearst in 1976 to, to come out here as General Manager.
6: was well, there any event during your tenure as publisher, or just generally with the Seattle PI, that really sticks out in your mind that, May have changed the newspaper dramatically or or any type of event that developed to where it is now
7: well, i I would say that uh, the paper has made a major change in the in the view of the reader. when I came to town in seventy six uh, this was viewed as a uh, extremely liberal but uh, right a, a reporter's paper. and uh, I guess uh, along the way, we made some minor course corrections, but uh, in nineteen late nineteen eighty, We did a complete uh, reformat of the paper and kind of changed its appearance in many ways and to a great extent there's been fine-tuning over these many years since to make it even better. Now that was one. And I guess I'd have to say that the other uh, significant, uh, extremely significant, was the thing that took us from being a failing newspaper into being a financially successful one, and that was the joint operating agreement that was implemented in 1983.
6: Are you optimistic that the print media, I guess more specifically daily newspapers, are going to have a strong future?
7: Well, you know, I'd have to believe that because uh, I can remember back in 50 when newspapers were still in hot metal and linotype machines and big composing rooms and printers and hard metal engravings and the whole works. And all of that now has become digitized with the, the digital business and its computerization. And I'd say that over the years, the little black box that was always there, I think, still looms on the horizon, but uh, still in all, uh, newspapers, uh, the newspapers fulfill a role, They uh, function. They've evolved. They've met the challenges over the years, and, uh, and have kind of eased into it. It hasn't been an overnight change in any respect. You'd go to a baseball game last night, and if you saw the game and were there, you'd still want to read about it today because there are nuances of it that you're not going to get. Television doesn't do it. People are not going to sit in front of a computer all day long digging up stories. I mean, I think that in uh, the newspaper, portable, I think it's changed. Obviously, there have been uh, radio was a threat, television was a threat. Now uh, even uh, Microsoft uh, is a threat.
6: My final question this morning then um, would be about Seattle and the community and uh, what we're doing today and the decisions we're making for a bright future. What are your thoughts on that?
7: Well, I, you know, the Seattle, the biggest problem in the Seattle area is the fact that they perceive that they do not have a problem. And uh, we, we there's, there's an awful lot of apathy in this community because there's a feeling that we've got it all made and we don't have to make changes. But down the road, we're going to have to do something about transportation. We're going to have to do something about the third runway at the airport. It's going to have to go through. Otherwise, we're going to be losing ground. There are many cities that would do anything in the world to be able to do some of the things we can do here in Seattle because they've hit the skid. And I think there has to be a real feeling that let's get rid of the process and let's get on to doing what needs to be done to make this an even greater city. Otherwise, that truck is coming down the highway and it's going to hit it. I think there's too much opposition to progress in it.
6: Well, I appreciate you sharing those comments, and I'm sure those thoughts will go to good use. We've been talking to Mr. Virgil Fazio, the former publisher of the Seattle Post-Intelligencer, and thank you very much for spending time in Profiles
1: of Experience. Thank you. That's Virgil Fazio, former publisher of the Seattle Post-Intelligencer. All right, that was Virg. Fazio, Virgil Fazio, and thank him for that. I really liked his comments about the challenges of newspapers before. Keep in mind, that was 20 years ago that I did this interview, but he made a note of that radio was a competition for newspapers, and people were saying that, oh, they're going to go out of business. Same with television. That was going to happen. Certainly is a big challenge for newspapers now. Hope they hang in there. uh, Whatever format that uh, we have, We, we certainly need that. All right. So unfortunately, we are out of time. And again, if you uh, would like to comment on the show or get a free copy of the Voices of Experience uh, book, excuse me, is self-employment for you though? That's what it's called. Call 425-653-1166. Next week, local election and some of the issues that you will be considering. We'll be talking about that. Neil Peterson will be back and uh, I'll leave you in suspense about what he's going to talk about. And uh, what else? Voices of Experience airs 3 p.m., as you know, if you're listening to it now, and Samuel and Hubbard, Sister Station, KKNW. Thanks to Neil Peterson, Eric Ryder, and Benny Mathers, and, of course, Big E sitting across from me now. Thank you very much, Eric Crema. Quote of the week, love yourself first, and everything falls in line. You really have to love yourself to get anything done in the world. Lucy Ball. This week's Timeless Classic, coming up next, only on Kixie. Part of it is going to be on KKNW, but not on the podcast because of licensing rights. Have a great rest of the week. This week's Timeless Classic reached number one in the U.S., Canada, and Norway. To quote a well-known actor who was in the film in which the song was written for, said, I was highly critical. How did the song fit with the film? There was no rain? At the time, it seemed like a dumb idea. How wrong I was. It turned out to be a great hit. Robert Redford. Bert Bacharach wrote the song and had the recording artist do seven takes before he was satisfied with the results. From the movie, released in 1969, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid B.J. Thomas and raindrops keep falling on my head
4: Raindrops are falling on my head And just like the guy whose feet are too big for his bed Nothing seems to fit Those raindrops are falling on my head They keep falling just did me some talking to the sun And I said I didn't like the way he got things done Sleeping on the job Those raindrops of all Steps up to